Hey folks, Tyler and Woody here. Howdy. Listen. Okay. Howdy folks, Tyler and Woody here. If you're like us, you're just vibrating with excitement oh boy. for our second season premiere. If you're us, you know how excited you should be because it's huge and it's a really big deal for us. So we hope you love it. But before that, we're going to get into some of our favorite stories from way back in season one. So this is the Time Capsule Rewind. Enjoy. Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Abominable Snowman, Yeti, Yirin, Yowie, Sakuyatl, Sesquak, or even Orang Pendek. The details and names may differ slightly from place to place, but from North America to China, all the way to New Zealand and even Indonesia, there is one thing for certain. Something is out there. Whether they're described as being chocolate brown, white as a snowy blizzard, or even black as night, these hair-covered upright standing creatures have been encountered and talked about across the globe for more than 600 years. There are endless interesting and intriguing encounters, but today we rewind the clock back to the summer of 1924. When a group of gold prospectors near Mount St. Helens in southern Washington named Fred Beck, Gabe Lefever, John Peterson, Marion Smith and Smith's son Roy described coming upon and being attacked by guerrilla men near where they had built a small cabin for their gold hunting. Here are Fred Beck's own words describing the event in which he later recalled in a short book he wrote about the encounter called I Fought the Ape Men of Mount St. Helens. We had been prospecting for six years in the Mount St. Helens and Lewis River area in southwest Washington. We had from time to time come across large tracks by creek beds and springs. In 1924, I and four other miners were working our gold claim, the Vander White. It was two miles east of Mount St. Helens near a deep canyon now named Ape Canyon, which was so named after our encounter reached the newspapers. Hank, a great hunter and good woodsman, was always a little apprehensive after seeing these tracks. The tracks were large and we knew that no animal could have made them, the largest measuring 19 inches long. It was in the middle of July and we had received a good assay on our claim and everyone was excited. I remember I had a tooth that was aching and I suggested to Hank that he should take me down to see a dentist. but. He was so enthused in the prospects of the gold mine, he barely took time to answer me. He replied that God or the devil could not get him away from there. We had all come up in his Ford, and I had no way to get to town unless he took me. So, when we went back to our cabin on the north side of the canyon, I had a nagging toothache and a little appetite for our evening meal of beans and hotcakes. We had been hearing noises in the evening for about a week. 
we heard a shrill, peculiar whistling each evening. We would hear it coming from one ridge, and then hear an answering whistling from another ridge. We also heard a sound which I could best describe as a booming, thumping sound. Just like something was hitting itself on its chest. Hank asked me to accompany him to the spring about a hundred yards from our cabin to get some water and suggested we take our rifles to be on the safe side. We walked to the spring and then Hank yelled and raised the rifle. At that instant, I saw it. It was a hairy creature and he was about a hundred yards away on the other side of a little canyon standing by a pine tree. It dodged behind the tree and poked its head out from the side of the tree. And at the same time, Hank shot. The creature I judged to have been about seven feet tall with blackish brown hair. It disappeared from our view for a short time. But then we saw it, running fast and upright about 200 yards down the little canyon. I shot three times before it disappeared from view. We took the water back to the cabin and explained the affair to the rest of the party. And we all agreed, including Hank, to go home the next morning, as it would be dark before we could get to the car. We agreed it would be unsound to be caught by darkness on the way out. Nightfall found us in our pine log cabin. We had built the cabin ourselves and had made it very sturdy. In the cabin, we had a long bunk bed in which two could sleep feet to feet. The rest of us, though, sleeping on pine bows on the floor. At one end of the cabin, we had a fireplace fashioned out of rocks. There were no windows in the cabin, so darkness found all of us in the cabin. I was more calm now, and my tooth was better. Somehow the excitement seemed to work a temporary cure on it. We were sitting around, puffing on pipes, and talking about the trip home the next day. Each of us settled down in his crude but welcomed bed and soon fell asleep. About midnight, we were all awakened. Hank, who was sleeping on the floor, was yelling and kicking. But the noise that had awakened us was a tremendous thud against the cabin wall. Some of the chinking had been knocked loose from behind the logs and had fell across Hank's chest. He had his rifle in his hand and was waving it back and forth as he kicked and yelled. I helped to get the chinking off of him and he jumped to his feet. Then we heard a great commotion outside. It sounded like a great number of feet trampling and rattling over a pile of our unused shakes. We grabbed our guns. Hank squinted through the space left by the chinking. By actual account, we saw only three of the creatures together at one time, but it sounded like there were many more. They hurled many small rocks and stones at the cabin, but they did not break through the roof. Some did fall through the chimney of the fireplace. The only time we shot our guns that night was when the creatures were attacking our cabin. When they would quiet down for a few minutes, we would quit shooting. I told the rest of the party that maybe if they saw we were only shooting when they attacked, they might realize we were only defending ourselves. We did shoot, however, when they climbed up on our roof. We shot round after round through the roof. We had to brace the huge log door with a long pole taken from the bunk bed. 
The creatures were pushing against it and the whole door vibrated from the impact. We responded by firing many more rounds through the door. They pushed against the walls of the cabin as they were trying to push the cabin over. Hank and I did most of the shooting. The rest of the party crowded to the far end of the cabin, guns in their hands. The attack continued the remainder of the night, with only short intervals in between. A most profound and frightening experience occurred when one of the creatures, being close to the cabin, reached an arm through the chinking space and seized one of our axes by the handle. Before the thing could pull the axe out, I swiftly turned the head of the axe upright so it caught on the logs, and at the same time Hank shot, barely missing my hand. The creature let go and I pulled the handle back in and put the axe in a safe place. The attack ended just before daylight. Just as soon as we were sure it was light enough to see, we came cautiously out of the cabin. It was not long before I saw one of the ape-like creatures standing about 80 yards away near the edge of Ape Canyon. I shot three times, and it toppled over the cliff down to the gorge, some 400 feet below. Then Hank said that we should get out of there as soon as possible. Not bother to pack our supplies or equipment. After all, he said, it's better to lose them than our lives. We were only too glad to agree. We brought out only that which we could get into our pack sacks. We left about $200 in supplies, powder, and drilling equipment behind. I tried to persuade everyone not to relate the happenings to anyone, and they agreed. But Hank soon let the cat out of the bag. We made our way to Spirit Lake and Hank went into the ranger station. He had told the ranger earlier about the tracks and the ranger had replied, let me know if you find out what they are. And that's just what Hank did. When we were back home in Kelso, Washington, he told some of his friends and somehow the story leaked out to the papers and the great hairy ape hunt of 1924 was on. The site of the cabin is no longer known, but Ape Canyon continues to be a popular hiking destination, despite being significantly altered by the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980. And the legend of Fred Beck and his companions has lived on ever since. Although it's almost been a hundred years since this encounter, if you ever find yourself in Ape Canyon, sightseeing, or looking for Bigfoot himself, you might want to make sure you come prepared. Wow, I love that little uh, little time capsule rewind. Oddly enough, the interesting thing, and I didn't even realize this when we did it, but episode 20, before we even remotely start talking about Bigfoot. I know. I mean, I mean, that's... When I started looking at these episode numbers, first off, can we just say something real quick and how freaking difficult it was for us to just, like, choose two that we wanted to kind of... Oh, yeah. You know, go back over and, and revisit because there's so many... A lot of shuffling of over there, these. Though. Sorry, there's just so many of these that we want to uh, 
that we want to revisit. And so it's like almost impossible for us to have chosen. Chowson. Uh, I think the, it's Chowson. Chowson, the, the two that we chose today. But I know, man, I can't believe it took us that long to get to Bigfoot. I know. You, you, took, a, you took a long swath of land to come back around mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I liked it. I, oh, one thing that I totally forgot about this episode, which is funny, is I remember I had like a lot going on that week. So I, you know, after mixing, it was sort of like out of sight, out of mind for me. And Mm -hmm. I remember it was a few days after it had went live on that Monday. And I remember I was laying in bed, like going to sleep to it. And boy, there's a lot of gunshots. Oh, yeah. I remember this is the first podcast that we've ever done where I was like, I can't listen to this because I would be almost (laughs) asleep and it would be like, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the funny things that I noticed, kind of re-listening to, you know, our telling of it in this situation is like how, and I wish I could have found that for the uh, for the outtakes because, like, I remember one of the guys' names was just like, I think I must have said it thirty times. Oh like yeah, left lever or something. Yeah, it's was, it was kind of a something weird. like that. And I'd always mm-hmm. be like, and then Martin Lyle, he like, okay, <laughs> that that was this was one of those episodes where I was just like fumbling all over my words when we were doing the narration piece. But it was super fun to do in terms of sound design. Yeah, yeah. And I think another one of the things that I loved about it, and part of the reason I think why this was the first one that we did about Bigfoot, mm-hmm. was because. This was shortly after we had gone and visited the Bigfoot Museum in Blue Ridge. That's right. And we saw, they have this like, I guess it's a diorama, right? Is that Um, what it is? I don't know. I thought diorama was like like miniature versions. But yeah, Yeah, anyway, this this is like life-size diorama. Yeah, life-size reenactment uh, of this cabin and... With mannequins. With mannequins and like you know a Sasquatch like busting through the door, you know, and which is sort of like the piece de resistance. I mean, they, it's like you walk into the big room and that's like the first thing you see on that yeah. back wall. And I, what's funny is I had totally forgotten about that story, and I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this. Yeah, and I didn't really know it that well. And this mm-hmm. was so first we're we're listening to like the audio of the Sierra sounds and then oh, yeah. we come over there and I'm reading this plaque about this the Ape Canyon incident and mm-hmm. dude I was like holy smokes dude we have to do this story because this sounds terrifying because i mean in a lot of these situations you put yourself in those folks shoes and it's like you're out in the middle of the woods again it's that like Pacific Northwest territory that's just wild yeah. as heck back then. Mm-hmm. It's still wild now, but I mean, if you can just imagine it being even more crazy, dense, uh, much less populated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tell you what, one thing that I learned in season one for sure was when you go out prospecting for gold, yeah. you're gonna you're either gonna accidentally walk into the valley of headless men. Yeah. Or exactly. you're gonna be attacked by, you know, a family of Sasquatch, or you're gonna yeah. get kidnapped by a Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah. It's like Hey, man, I mean, you know, this was just a different time. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I love, love that story. Well, one thing that I thought was interesting, too, is, you know, that's the way it goes. Is how similar, how similar, similar really like the, the, you know, Sasquatch or Bigfoot behavior is like Mm. sort of within that area. I mean, it's kind of a sparse topic of Bigfoot being, uh, you know, aggressive or, you know, uh, confrontational or whatever. And, you know, here's basically 
three of them. I mean, I think the Albert Osman sort of encounter, I feel like that one, I don't necessarily feel like that's sort of a, like, and super aggressive. I mean, obviously it kidnapped him and stuff, but yeah. I don't feel like it was like, they were just immediately just like trying to hurt him. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. felt like there were more like motives. assertive or like, you know, cause I think what you're, what like you're trying to say essentially is like a lot of the encounters that we hear about, there's some posturing, maybe some like loud noises mm -hmm. and knocks and tree knocks and like yep. yelling and stuff. But rarely do you run into a situation where it's either aggressive, like you said, or at least like brave Attacked. enough to like, you know, yeah, come close to you and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But like, the, you know, this, uh, the, the Valley of the Headless Men and this, I mean, it is pretty cool to think that these could be the same sort of thing. I mean, it's sort of, and what's interesting too is if, which I always naturally go to this because I find it fascinating, is, you know, the the different sort of indigenous people or Indian tribes throughout the, the U.S., mm -hmm. you know, you can have the Cherokee who are typically peaceful, but then you have, you know, some of the Navajo and like, Comanche Apache and Comanche, Apache, yeah. like a lot of those were like pretty hardcore warring. Try not all of them, obviously. You know, no offense to anyone out there with those, you know, in your ancestry. But uh, you know, there are there are a lot of sort of stories of of these tribes that were you know known for kind of like taking over other tribes and fighting mm -hmm. and stuff. So I think it's interesting looking at this as like, okay, well, sort of how the the Indians would look at these things. They would. They always looked at these, uh, you know, quote unquote, wild men or, or Bigfoot. They looked at them as just another tribe. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so to think of them as a tribe that was maybe this little patch of area had this tribe of, of Sasquatch or whatever that were a lot more aggressive, right? You know? And that I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's that really, is, man, it's that is a cool concept, dude. Like, yeah, you know, as as we I think said on this episode originally, but but certainly I'll you know repeat it here is that like, you know, well, yeah, I think I, I say at the top of the time capsule, it's like all, there's so many different names for quote unquote Bigfoot throughout the world. And I think it's mm -hmm. kind of silly for us to kind of just assume that one entity is going to behave exactly the same as right. one that's like, you know, a hundred miles away, 300 yeah. miles away, you know, across the world away. So yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a great point, man, for sure. I appreciate it. You you typically never really give me many. Well, because they're you know because they're, they're rarely, you know, <laughs> there's rarely an opportunity to. Is I think the. Uh, I mean, I just is, is I, I I just wish I could get. I this is my this is my my prayer and my wish for season two. <laughs> Here we that go. I just get like a few more attaboys, like <laughs> <laughs> just you sort need of sprinkle. Okay, in. look, I'm gonna write that down. Okay, a couple more attaboys. Okay, for Tyler. More attaboys, season yep. two. And maybe even at the end, uh, we we round up a few of our friends and, you know, not make a big deal of it, but like sort of hoist me up. And yeah, sing. maybe like maybe like a uh, he's a jolly good fellow. He's a jolly good fellow, yeah. obviously. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, very That's good. Where maybe we we'll kind of work that in. And I mean, I'm going to just write it in. Working it in. This is, the, this is, I can't help but say it again, just to reiterate what, what you said earlier, and that is that we are extremely excited about season Vibrating. two. Well, I With probably would have, you know, used a different... But Buzzing, humming. Humming, just 
Yeah, I guess that's okay. Whatever. Throbbing. Fuck me. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You're listening to That Would Be Rad. <laughs> When this story broke, it stretched the imagination. A 12-foot green monster with red glowing eyes had been seen on a mountain top. One of the kids looked up and he said, what on earth is that? A pear-shaped glowing red object which was pulsing. And one of the younger kids said, a flying saucer was landed. Whilst a creature or a thing or an object about the size of a very heavy set man, but obviously contained in some kind of suit. So we start the program going back to the year that this happened. At 7.15 p.m. on September 12th, 1952, in Flatwoods, West Virginia, two brothers, Edward and Fred May, were playing outside with their friend Tommy Heyer. It was a characteristically southern, late summer evening that night. Warm and accompanied by loud choruses of crickets, frogs, and cicadas to fill the night air with their songs. It was certainly beginning to get pretty dark, even getting closer to dusk. That special time of night when there's still a little bit of sunlight in the sky, 
but not enough to keep the brightness of the stars from showing up. As the boys played, suddenly an oval-shaped ball of fire roared across the night sky. The racing minds immediately thought it was a flying saucer. They watched as it descended, following the trail of flames as it appeared to land or crash on a nearby local farm. The boys raced home and frantically explained what they had just seen to their mother, Kathleen May, who was immediately intrigued. She then recruited their National Guardsman neighbor, Eugene Lemon, to accompany her and the boys to the farm where this potential crash site would be. They were joined by two more local children, Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver, and Eugene Lemon's dog. Armed with flashlights, excitement, and a sprinkle of fear, the group headed out quickly to discover what exactly it was that had crashed. One of the first things they noticed as they approached the farm was the smell. They later described it as sulfur-like, a pungent mist that caused them to feel nauseated almost instantly. A strange mist began to rise up all around them as they made their way closer to where they calculated the crash site to be. As the group reached the top of a hill, a pulsing red light illuminated the late evening mist and a metallic whirring sound filled the air. Eugene Lemon's dog ran away in fear into the mist that had now surrounded them. Lemon and the others ran after the dog, where they found it barking near a wooden fence. Although they wanted to keep moving forward, the dog refused to take another step. As they pushed forward anyway, the smell, odor, and noise became stronger and stronger. Suddenly, Lemon noticed a pair of eyes staring at him from the dark. He threw his flashlight onto the spot where he assumed he would see a possum. Instead, what they saw in the shadows of that farm would haunt them forever. He later described the being, I aimed my flashlight in that direction, and in that moment saw this tall, man-like figure with a round, red face that was surrounded by a pointed, hood-like shape. Kathleen May said in her description, Well, when Jean's flashlight hit it, it lit up like a Christmas tree. We all noticed it, all at the same time. It wasn't in any bushes, it was right there, out in the open. Out in the roadway, the whole thing lit up instantly. It had small, claw-like hands, clothing-like folds, and a and a head that resembled the ace of spades. It was a hideous sight, and I wish I'd not seen it. Staring at them from within the darkness of the woods was the Flatwoods Monster. The witnesses all described the giant 10 to 12 foot tall, terrifying creature with a blood red face and a green body that seemed to glow and had on what appeared to be a dark metal dress. 
Its hands were twisted and clawed, and what seemed to be its eyes glowed an eerie orange color. It began to make a loud hissing sound and started to glide toward the companions. Lemon screamed in terror and clumsily dropped his flashlight, his hands and body no doubt shaking with such fear causing the rest of the group to panic and to run away as fast as they could muster. Before they could make their escape, however, the creature glided fast toward Kathleen and covered her in a strange, oily substance. Scared to death, the group ran down the hill back into town. Collecting their wits and attempting to stay calm, they immediately called the Braxton County Sheriff. They explained the strange encounter, even separately drawing sketches of what they had just seen. All the drawings were eerily similar. The sheriff was not at his station, however, because he had already been called out to investigate what another citizen reported as being a plane crash. When the sheriff and his deputy eventually arrived on the scene, there was no evidence of the creature. The mist was gone. There was no strange noise. National Guardsmen who were dispatched immediately to investigate that same crash later reported finding evidence of large parallel skid marks, track marks in the grass, an oily residue, and a rubber-like substance accompanied by a lingering strange odor. The witnesses reported that over the next several days, they were overcome with sickness. Symptoms such as swelling of the nose and throat, vomiting, and convulsions that lasted several weeks. Many believers think the sickness might have been related to inhaling the strange mist. Several other locals would later report having seen the strange aircraft, separately from May and Lemon's group. And many people who claimed to come in contact with the strange creature as well. What was it these folks saw that night? Was it simply a meteor that crashed on a farm accompanied by an angry owl perched on a tree that spooked this small group of townspeople? Or was it a strange alien creature in a metallic suit trying to communicate? Was it a robotic organism standing guard to protect its crashed ship? and perhaps any other passengers within it. Perhaps we will never really know. That is, unless on a late autumn evening, just when the sun is dipped below the horizon, we happen to see a ball of flame crackle overhead and crash nearby. And you decide to go investigate for yourself. Well, first off, folks, at least here, it, that would be rad. It's a well-known fact that the Flatwoods Monster 
almost instantly became one of my favorite creatures mm-hmm. to date. It still yeah. is. I mean, we talked about a lot of cool stuff this first season, mm-hmm. but man, there's just something about Flatwoods that I don't know. I love the way that it, you know, reportedly looks. Mm-hmm. I just love the story in general. There's always just one of the things that has stood out in my mind since mm-hmm. in researching it and all of that is Kathleen May. I mean, what awesome. a bad A, man. I mean, she's a yeah. single mom. She's got a, you know, a bunch of little rowdy kids in mm-hmm. West Virginia. It's hot outside. She's probably cooking it. These kids come in and they're just like, just, you know, mouthing off about what they just saw and all this. And it still just amazes me as a parent for her to not just be like, hit the bath, go to bed, oh, shish yeah. your mouth, you know? <laughs> because, man, I think what a cool thing to kind of like glean from all of this stuff this season is like, you really got to pay attention and some upcoming stuff next season. And mm-hmm. you'll know what, I, what we're talking about when it gets here. But, mm-hmm. you know, you really have to pay attention to what your kids see. Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, because yeah. as imaginative as they are, I don't know, there's just something to that. And uh, I think it, it's going to keep everybody safe. But anyway, she just always struck me as just like this awesome lady. You know, she immediately just grabs a flashlight. Her mm-hmm. neighbor, uh, what was the guy's name? Lemon. Eugene Lemon. Eugene, mm-hmm. yeah. And they just head out, you know. Mm-hmm. Another thing that always kind of sticks out in my mind too is that that like that chemically... Yeah, um, you know, foggy mist that is kind of like choking them up. And, you know, if you've ever been around like a, a, a diesel engine or some sort of a mechanical engine that's just like tons of exhaust everywhere, <clears throat> I don't know, it just reminds me of that. Like the, the, the fact that this being mm-hmm. potentially was also like a maybe – I love the idea of it being like a sentinel, like sort of guard, keeping yeah. people from kind of getting closer to the quote unquote crash site. And then yeah. all those fumes being present and the fact that like other people in the town reported different sightings and, and had seen this like ball of flame shooting across the sky and stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, and did you, I, I can't remember, but did we talk about like the dog? Um, I, You know, we talked about how like it got spooked, it ran off. I don't remember if we talked about sort of like what happened health-wise to the dog. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't think that we totally went into it. But uh, after the fact, I I ended up reading that basically they found – so apparently the dog uh, sort of charged into where they were going, Mm -hmm. you know, where they saw the light or whatever, sort of charged in. And then the next thing, they saw it bolting you know, towards the direction of town. And then I think the next day they ended up finding it and it had vomited all over itself and it was dead. Oh, man. Yeah, so, which is interesting because there are those, you know, like in the the Stanford abduction, in multiple sort of, especially with the UFO sort of stuff, you know, in the 60s, I think I mentioned this, mentioned this sort of idea or theory in... Uh, the Flatwoods episode, but, you know, it's this idea that that there's, like, sort of this atomic or nuclear power of, like, mm. you know, like a radiation or something. Right? Yeah, it's, and, and it's giving these people radiation poisoning, and so mm. I think maybe the dog got a little too close, and, you know, it ended up, you know, dying, which is Man, terrible. that sucks, dude. And, and, like, but also, here you go, here's another attaboy. We're not even in season two yet. Attaboy. 
That's a good mm. point because I think too, if you remember back to the episode that we did about like UFO encounters around the world, and then of course like even the Aurora UFO crash and the great airship mystery mm -hmm. of 1897 and all that, I think even then there were reportings of, yeah, that sort of like, you know, people getting sick. Um, well, the, the, we should, we should talk about the, you know, when they, which I don't know if they did this in, now I can't remember, but I, I don't know if they buried the craft in the well of Judge Proctor's well, mm -hmm. or was yeah, it yeah. like a neighbor? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. It was, was it his, man. And they didn't bury the, they just like, oh, what do we do with all this wreckage? Throw it down there. <laughs> just throw it on off the land. <laughs> okay. Uh, those cows running over it, huh? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then, so it was in the well, and then later on they ended up, again, I don't know if it was him or people that, you know, were maybe in the house years later, but there was some sort of radiation, and this guy was getting mm -hmm. like, it shows his hands, and they're all like gnarled and, and messed yeah. up. So it's like, is that the same, you know, kind of stuff? Same? Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. Pretty wild. Um, yeah. I love the Flatwoods case. It's probably in my top five, maybe just because it is in that like perfect era of mm. uh, JL and Hynek and Project Blue Book. And, uh, and it's just so cool because it's like, it's just such strong 50s, 60s sci fi imagery, you know, American mm. sci fi yeah, imagery. Man. It's got like the crazy, like, spade shaped helmet um you know glowing yeah, i love it greenish dude. yellow eyes little arms claws one kid said maybe a green outfit some mm -hmm. of the others you know uh gray barker he was one of the guys that showed up to investigate and you know later on he would go on to become a, you know kind of a big big ufo researcher of the day the sheriff when they called the police the sheriff didn't show up because the sheriff was actually called out to, like, another plane crash at the mm -hmm. time. Yeah, so, like, the sheriff went out there because he was— and that's what I meant earlier by, like, different people witnessing different— I mean, like, something happened, right? Right. And the sheriff couldn't kind of come to these people because he was already investigating, an, like, another reporting of a, quote, plane crash. So someone right. else—it wasn't, like, another plane crash. I think it was, like, this potentially the same event, just a different report. You know what I'm saying? Someone had yeah. already kind of gotten to him first. Hey, I saw something fly over there. Throw it yeah. in the whale. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like, too, the the idea that, you know, there's all these other sort of multiple accounts, like the the couple with their, their young son, and you see this thing come out. But it's it's interesting. This one that they see is, like, it's also floating or levitating, and it walks by the car, and it drags its claws across the hood. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is awesome. Um yeah, but what's cool is they they didn't mention any kind of helmet. They mentioned that it's that its head and face looked almost like like a reptile, like reptilian. Mm. Which I mean, that's prime David Icke territory there, which we'll we'll probably get in season two, but the the reptoids, reptilians. But I like the idea that it's, you know, like you said earlier, of this being like a sentinel or like a sentry mm -hmm. sort of maybe protecting a craft or or whatever, and maybe because I think this was the the following day, and this was like a few miles away from that you know original sort of sighting with the kids. You know, when this guy saw it, you know, it's like it it had taken its its helmet off and like you know it's kind of just chilling out. So maybe maybe there was a crash, and I think we we talked about this in the episode, but the you know maybe the ship crashed and this character was marooned here for. 
a certain amount of time. And so obviously like he's, he's not going to walk around with like his helmet. He's going to get a little comfortable. Take it. <laughs> you gotta get a little comfy, man. You know, a little comfy. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's so much about this like story too that is just fascinating. I mean, first off, I mean, West Virginia yeah. is like a hot spot. It is for so much. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of also what I sort of unearthed whenever I was learning more about this story. I mean, you've got like tons of UFO stuff going on. You've mm-hmm. got, and we're just talking about throughout time here. Uh, a lot of Sasquatch stuff, sheep squatch. There's mm-hmm. just a bunch of different types of creatures, a bunch of different types of sort of Bigfoot-like sightings. Yeah. Um, well, and, gonna- and, and multiple like little flaps. You know, it's like later down the road, you're going to have Mothman, and and that was a flap. Yeah. There was multiple sightings, and then and then during this time, there was all these you know people seeing these sort of anomalous lights mm-hmm. in the sky or balls of lights or meteors or whatever. I, I like the idea that like there's these like sort of multiple sort of little flaps happening, which yeah. to me just lends credibility to something happening, you know. Right. And it just being like, I, I mean, it makes me want to go to West Virginia and kind of yeah. visit all these different sites, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I completely left Mothman off the list just then, but that's another thing about the Flatwoods Monster that I love is it in a way <clears throat> kind of has like, it's depicted. There we go. As mm-hmm. like those those eyes, man, they always stand yeah. out to me being kind of similar, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, another thing that we kind of went over and, and talked about briefly when we did this episode uh, originally was, you know, some of the things that people said. Oh, it was probably this. And one mm-hmm. of my favorite because I hate it so much. Oh, the is that, that it was owl. just like an owl sitting Ugh. on the thing. Now, let me just tell you something. I hate it. I've literally look. I've had a lot of. Not a lot of, I've had a couple, a handful of like, you know, times in my life where something kind of scary happened out in the woods and I Mm -hmm. thought, oh man, you know, it was probably a raccoon walking by my tent, but it sounded like dang, uh, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex or something. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So that kind of stuff. But when you have multiple people Mm -hmm. and you're in the woods and something's coming after you, you know, I just imagine like, there's no way that someone's like, Hey man, that's an owl. No, it's not, man. It's a crazy, you know, like there's yeah. not, I don't know. That that one kind of gets on my nerves the most. It's, how do you mistaken that? I well, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I think that, I, you know, and, and again, like Jalen Hynek in the, in the early part of his career was kind of a skeptic slash debunker, but then with time and and him seeing sort of how valid a lot of these cases were as as he continued on like with with project you know the project blue book project you know um he started to believe a little more of like well there, there's actually something to this and so i think especially in those earlier cases you know with him especially you hear terms like swamp gas ball lightning owls it's just, uh, you know, and that's the same thing that, you know, there's another case that I'm obsessed with, which is the uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins, mm-hmm. uh, which hopefully we'll do this season. It's it's also like in my top, you know, five or ten. It's it's amazing. But again, it's it's kind of the same thing. It's like this idea that like, oh, well, no, you were just looking at owls. And it's like, so you're telling me that like all these kids, the neighbor boy who was in the National Guard, and the kid's mom, you know, who all, you know, 
would would later see, you know, this spade-shaped head of this, like, glowing eyes and claws and this, like, sort of floating 10-foot-tall. You know, it's like they all mistaked an owl for this. Yeah. It just I mean, doesn't make here, Here's, like, another personal story here. So when my wife was growing up, an owl kind of, like, uh, got into her house through their chimney, mm. and they came home one day. Did you say chimney? No, I said chimney. I thought you said chimney. No, um, and... Mm. I promise you I didn't. Chimothy. So this owl came in through the Chimothy and <laughs> and her and her mom like found it and freaked out. Not once did they say, Here, yeah. hey, there's this figure with a metal skirt and these mm-hmm. glowing, you know, eyes in our house. Ten foot tall. Ten feet tall. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, well, I'm not, I'll end up harping on that forever. And that's not what our listeners want, man. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, another thing, and I, and again, not to keep going down the but negative. Gonna <laughs> anyway. No, listen, not going down like negative road over here, but like, you know, it's it's kind of what, and I've said this before, but it's this, it's this idea that that a lot of these, I, I hate using the term skeptics because I feel like, I think it's I okay like, to be skeptical. It is okay to be skeptical. I feel like we're skeptical. There's there's yeah. a lot of cases where I'm like, I love this, it's fascinating, but I don't know, but. Right. But I feel like these people who come out, like, uh, you know, I think Joe Nichols is one. And, like, these guys, that they're, they're basically professional, like, debunkers. Mm. And that's fine. That, that's cool, too, if, if you want to do that. But it's, it's this idea that they commonly go to, you know, because there was this flap. There was all these sightings. They say, oh, well, it was just mass hallucination. And it's like. Which is also just as crazy to me. Th- like, that's just what I'm as saying. interesting, I mean. In right. what fucking world is is 20 people all hallucinating at the exact same time, seeing the exact same thing, smelling the same smell, mm-hmm. and hearing the same noises, and and that makes sense to you? Yeah, here's the best part. It's equal weird and sort of rad to me. Either we are all part of one collective consciousness. Oh, yeah, here we go. Whoa. Yeah. Or all of these people saw the same thing, right? So which one's weirder? I don't know, but right. they're both, you know, they're both just crazy, right? So it's like either way you go, mm-hmm. something's happening here and it's strange and Well, I will say um and I, I you know, I would like to do an episode about this as well, but I I do think that okay, if you are going to take the concept of mass hysteria, you know, the idea that that um whatever, there's multiple people seeing the exact same thing. Okay, we'll take that, but explain to me how that doesn't also tie into this concept of simulation theory or simulated reality or or we're in some sort of like matrix type thing. And I know it's far out and it's out there, but like if you kind of look at it in in that way and don't, you know, don't tie, you know, roll your eyes just yet. Well, yeah, don't roll your eyes and don't hit your your horse to the matrix. Boy. you know, visual sort of so hard because, but there there are some like really interesting sort of ideas if that is, if if mass hallucination, you know, is, is a thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did we just say is a thing at the same exact time? I think we did. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting concept no matter what. And then two, also, we're, we're also not talking about, just to make sure we distinguish this here, we're also not talking about the effect that something 
we'll say in pop culture, will have on the masses, right? Because then mm-hmm. that can skew your perception of what you're looking at in the sky and that kind of thing. Sure. Right. We're talking about 20 people in spread apart by miles and miles and miles during a mm-hmm. time period where there weren't text messages or freaking, you know, yep. TikTok. Pre-internet, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're talking about those 20 different individuals mm-hmm. seeing something that they report again, without like collusion here, mm-hmm. with similar characteristics. Right. Right. So I just want to make sure that that is clear because obviously, you know, you take a situation like, uh, you know, the the reading of War of the Worlds mm-hmm. on the radio and then, you know, if you shot something through the sky, immediately everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, right. so skewed perception because of, you know. Uh, like almost like, like, like front end loading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say it, you know, it is sort of a, 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 you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg scenario, uh, because, you know, this is such a high strangeness, sort of American, you know, golden age of, of sci-fi. So it's like, is it a case of, I mean, I believe, I believe they truly saw this stuff. I don't, I don't believe it was a hallucination mm-hmm. or anything, but I do, I do like thinking in terms of like, okay, well, you know, did this inform the creation of of a lot of the sci-fi, you know, characteristics that you would see in sci-fi movies around this time? Or it's, and again, it goes into what we're perceiving in our minds, and it's a very Jacques Vallée sort of passport to Magonia type thing of like, Mm -hmm. okay, are we the component that's, that's visualizing this thing, you know, which would separate this from fairy abductions and, Alien grays and it, like, is it just whatever is in the cultural zeitgeist at the moment? You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that inform your perception? Right. I mean, yeah. I think it's I think that's valid. But before we dive further into that, mm-hmm. let, what I'm going to say is, let's wait until season two to kind of dig that. Oh yeah. That old that old chestnut. Yeah. Um, one person also peed their pants. I don't think we mentioned that on the first one. Okay. Okay. Good to um, <laughs> man. There, this is three attaboys in one episode. There we bonus go. Episode. This turned out to be a bonus episode, us just having a conversation about two of our favorite time capsule episodes that we did. We should just call it the attaboy just, episode. This is getting real windy. <laughs> For real, we are super excited about season two. And frankly, yeah. if you're a fan of our show, then you should be extremely excited. And guess what? Mm-hmm. The wait is essentially over. This time, next week, is going to be our season two premiere. Wow. And it's it is, happening. I mean, it's an incredible episode. It is the perfect way for us to kick off our second season. We're super excited. And, you know, yeah, like we always say, thank you so much for your support this first season. These 50 plus episodes have really been just so much fun to do. And we're looking forward to exploring more rad strangeness mm-hmm. this season. And I got to say, man, just listening back to these time capsules again. Man, I'm ready to do some sound design, man. I'm, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm and I'm ready, ready to, to hear dig. some sound design. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, cool, dude. Well, uh, you know, if you want to find us online, uh, jump on over to Instagram. Uh, like we always kind of say, we we have this little family, growing little family over in the comment sections. Feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what you thought of the episode. Tell us what you hate about the episode. I mean, we'll delete it, but we'd still like to see it. Yeah for a couple seconds. If you have any spooky stories, scary accounts, anything that you've experienced in life, maybe you saw 
a fairy. Maybe you you turned your your head and saw a shadow person dart into the other room. Whatever. Maybe you saw the Flatwoods monster. Yeah, maybe you're convinced that your third grade teacher was actually an alien. There you go. Hey, I mean, you remember I'm, those books, by the way? Yeah, I've got one right here. Man, those are kind of scary, actually, to me. Back yeah, in the no, day. I kind of have to, like, keep him away from Woodrow because he's, like, super, you know, whatever. Yeah. He'll get scared. Yeah, very imaginative, and sometimes that can lead the other way. Yeah. Get a little scared. I'm the same way. Uh, but, yeah, if you have anything you want to talk to us about, shoot us a DM. Uh, drop a line in the comments, or if it's more long form, or if you have like a voice memo recording of a story or something you want to share, uh, we would love to feature that stuff as we get closer to Halloween. You know, we don't. You know, say well, it often. Re- re- oh, real quick though, go ahead and send it to uh, that would be radpod at gmail.com. Go ahead, Wood. I was going to say we don't. Well, there's a couple different ways that you can support our show as we get and ramp up into season two. Mm-hmm. And that is, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, for example, mm-hmm. you know, take a quick second right now to give us a review. Get out there, Let guys. us know how you like our show. You know, that helps us get discovered by other listeners that might not have found us yet. And mm-hmm. because we have listeners that listen across a bunch of different platforms and some of them you can't really leave reviews or anything, Another right. way to support us really is the same thing that we ask every single week, which is, you know, tell at least one person That's right. about our show and say, hey, you might not be into podcasts, but this is the one you got to check out. Or mm-hmm. if you're already into podcasts, add this one to your list. You wouldn't believe how much that, that helps us. And, and we visually see it every single week. More and more people are, you know, becoming part of the That Would Be Rad family. And, and oh, it's yeah. just amazing. So. Oh, speaking of, tell us about the listener that said that they had binged, like, all the episodes. Oh, yeah. You know, speaking of kind of leaving us comments and stuff on Instagram, we got an amazing one yesterday Mm -hmm. that really just kind of fired us up even more about season two. And Mm -hmm. it was from a guy named Liam who is out in Arizona. Hey, Liam. What's up, brother? He is, he makes, he's like a sculptor. He makes pottery and Mm. essentially, like... Um, does some illustrations and stuff. His pottery, I kind of dove into it, man. It's really, really cool, man. I've been actually getting into pottery lately in, in terms of just like collecting cool, mm-hmm. you know, coffee mugs and stuff. So You know, North, North Georgia is a big sort of folk art oh, pottery yeah. area, like the Metters mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. And anyway, he left a comment that said, you know, hey, I just found you guys like six days ago and just pushed play this morning on episode 30. Wow. Yeah. Amazing, Blew my man. mind. So That's like incredible. Just, just straight up binging, you know, yeah. the last week. So because we just, both we both do that. So oh yeah, y- you know the 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 idea that like oh well, people are gonna respond to our podcast someday and binge every episode. That's just that's really cool. So it's yeah. kind of a little little milestone. I just love to hear that stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks a lot, Liam, yeah, for man. finding us. And mm-hmm. um, well, like we always say, we really appreciate everything you guys uh, make. Everything that we do worth it and we couldn't do it without you so um as always we appreciate you we love you we're really looking forward to season two and so are you next week and as always be rad your day is coming soon nobody knows if i walk away everyone that